very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an amazing episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. Today, I'm super excited to have with me Steve Parker, somebody who is associated with a brand that has been here for a long, long time, started by Dr. Woody Oaks. Steve is the editor-in-chief of the Profitable Dentist magazine. Also, he's the president and CEO of Excellence in Dentistry. Steve, welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you, Steve. For those of us who don't know you, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved with Woody Oaks and when you, um, you know, Purchased the, the the magazine and 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 the um, and the excellence in dentistry brand. Sure, sure, I would love to. Um, I uh, have been involved in dentistry for about fifteen years. Uh, my background is finance and management. I'm um, an entrepreneur by nature. I've started a number of businesses, uh, grown them quite large. Some I've sold. Uh, some I still hold a position in and uh, or sold um, either majority interest or sold interest in. So I stay very involved in businesses that I have started. Uh, I got involved in dentistry about 15 years ago when, after I sold a fairly large telecommunications company. And a good, friend's, um, good friend told me his wife was a dentist. We had gone to college together and he said, you know, you, um, you're, since you're retired at 40, uh, you, should, you should come start something in dentistry. And uh, he said, and I think it should be dental labs. So I, I still tease him to this day that, you know, that's what got me started in dentistry. Um, I uh, started buying dental labs, and uh, that didn't work out so well. Dental labs were, it's kind of like herding cats. It's a very, they were a very difficult business at the time. Uh, I still own some dental labs. I enjoy it very much. I'm not a technician, uh, but I, I have understood the business and have gotten uh, understood how to kind of get my hands around it and, and make those very profitable. Um, through the course of that, I began consulting. I had dental lab clients who would owe, you know, pretty substantial lab bills, which didn't make sense to me. Uh, they're really great dentists. They have a great location. They have a good little business, but they just couldn't pay their bill. So I got involved, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I got involved directly and said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll come in and consult with you a little bit on the business side. I looked under the hood, uh, found out they, they there were a lot of common factors. They had very high AR, their key metrics, their ratios, say payroll to overhead, or excuse me, payroll to revenue was very high. Overhead might be very high. So I got to, I would tinker with those. That worked out uh, fairly well. That's where I grew into uh, coaching and some practice management. And over the course of time, maybe 20 years ago or so, I, I met Dr. Woody Oaks. Uh, we actually did some business together a long time ago uh, with his magazine, and we just happened to live in the uh, the same little town outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And we both went to Indiana University, so we had a lot of things in common. And, and we bumped into each other, and I asked him how things were going, and his health had struggled a little bit. I had just gotten out of a a business and said, you know, I'm looking for something to do next. And he said, well, I'm looking for somebody to help take my take the magazine and the, the seminars into the, the next century and um, take them, you know, digital. Uh, he he was understood the needs that had developed since he started the both of them almost 30 years ago. And out of that kind of grew a partnership and uh, has worked very well for the last couple of years. And um, so I'm I'm very thrilled to be here moving both excellence in dentistry and the profitable dentist forward uh and uh, into the new uh, really the new the next generation of of dentists. So it's kind of how I got here and where I plan to go. That's that's great. Um let's talk a little bit about the profitable dentist. I know I I I I used to be friends with Woody Dr. Woody Oaks but I haven't been to his seminar uh, lately, so I don't know a lot about what's going on today. So um, for the for the audience who may not be that familiar, can you tell me more about the Profitable Dentist magazine? Um, like um, how many subscribers do you have? Like, you know, how many print copies do you guys mail out? 
versus how many do you have for digital, just uh, some ballpark numbers, and how frequently does it come out, and what kind of information does it have? Sure, sure, great question. Um, it's a really interesting story. The Profitable Dentist be began as an idea between um, Woody Oaks and a couple of friends that were all struggling dentists in during the late 70s and 80s, 1980s. They, um, you know, dentistry is a tough profession as a clinician. It's even tougher as a business person. You know, they don't teach you that in dental school. So these guys would struggle and they started to share ideas and it got a little bit bigger and their little group got a little bit bigger and they said well gosh you know if we're all having this issue wonder how many other people out there are so they put one little ad in one little magazine and said hey we think we're thinking of starting a newsletter and would anybody be interested and they stuck a price on it and i think it might have been 195 dollars a year and they didn't even really have anything at the time uh they had an idea and they were flooded with requests and checks that said, sure, we, you know, this sounds great. We're out here in, you know, wherever it might be, uh, in Idaho, and uh, we struggle too, and we'd like to share ideas with somebody. So they, that little newsletter that literally got run on a copier in the back of Dr. Oak's office and got mailed out um, from the basement of his office uh, became the Profitable Dentist magazine. So it started out as a little stapled together newsletter. Then it came, you know, grew two or three iterations into its its current form. But it always still had the idea of taking ideas that were 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 growing in dentistry by dentists and sharing those with other dentists. So it's very focused on a sole practitioner uh, or a small group, a dentist who wants to bring on two or three or four associates and really doesn't understand how to do that. Um, so the Profitable Dentist magazine reaches today about 125,000 dentists. We are seeing a very dramatic shift. Uh, we, we, almost, we daily get a request for the digital version only, and uh, which is for whatever reason, um, uh, we really haven't studied it. Uh, I think some of it is, uh, you know, people, if, if you uh, don't want the, the uh, paper version or you want to save a tree, you know, you, you don't get the paper version. But they, they still want to stay subscribed to the digital version. So I think a lot of it is more for even like your listeners here tonight. It, it's more a way to to consume that content in a more convenient format for them. So we do see that the majority of our purchasers of our CE products through the Profitable Dentist and Excellence in Dentistry, the majority of them are consuming them on a device, on a phone or an iPad, where 10 years ago, I mean, those things didn't exist. You couldn't. You had to get a print magazine. You had to get a CD, you know, and listen to it in your car or at home or in your computer. You had to get a DVD and watch it on your computer or watch it at home. Today, you don't have to do that. You can have all that in your hand at the gym, or you can listen as you drive to work, or you can, you know, go out at lunch and sit down and have a sandwich and, and listen to a podcast. So what we're seeing is what a lot of any content provider is seeing is a transition to more easily consumed print, audio, and video content. So all of that would, will still be under the Profitable Dentist brand name, focused on on the audience, but really giving it to them in a more in a format that they're more comfortable with and that they want to that they are are more eager to consume. So uh, hope that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, let's talk a little bit about excellence in uh, dentistry. The, 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 I know I used to attend the seminars you used to have in Destin. Tell me more about what has happened with that. So really the, the kind of the same evolution. Uh, it used to be years ago, and, and I, I, I like to – a lot of times I think in analogy. So I think in this analogy – you had, if you wanted CE, you had your options were your state show, and you know, with all due respect to the state organizations, they were they were a good chance to get together, and and some dental friends in Idaho would get together and and have a uh, uh, play golf, maybe have lunch, get a little CE, uh, or get all their CE for the year, and then go back home, and they knocked it all out in the weekend. Um, so that that's kind of the um, 
you know, that's where all this started. So Dr. Oaks and, again, a couple of friends got together and said, why don't we have something that's a little more fun? And they put, put together the spring break seminar, had it in, an, in a, um, a semi-tropical location, Destin, Florida, uh, drew the, the bigger names, the growing names in dentistry. Uh, we have always tried, and even when they started, they always tried to have somebody who was there that was a little kind of on the cutting edge. Um, today's seminars, you'll see a lot about implants and, and digital dentistry and sleep apnea and things that are of interest, things that you read about that you can kind of touch and feel and kick the tires on in, you know, in, a, in an event like the Excellence in Dentistry Seminar. So uh, the way it's evolved is um, instead of one big seminar, we are making a little evolution ourselves. Uh, we're moving it from Destin, Florida to Orlando. We were in Orlando several years ago, and and we did some research late last year and really just discovered the, that one of the barriers to dentists going to live events is the travel cost and the complications of it. So we have moved it to Orlando uh, at, a, at a nice location with um, easy access, and as, as you and I talked, you know, you're in, I guess, Toronto. You you have a direct flight to Orlando from Toronto. Um, you, you know, it's it's easy to get in and out of. Destin just wasn't that easy. So um, we also are competing with, again, digitally delivered content with streamed content. So um, what we're trying to do is add elements to a live event, more networking, more interaction, more um the ability to come meet and talk firsthand to the presenters. Um, we're also breaking them down from one large event to smaller, what I what I call micro events. Our, uh, one of our first ones is we're doing a digital impression forum in early November. And that is um, basically an event where I invite the manufacturers together. Uh, I invite reps uh, the representative and dis distribution companies to sponsor, and a dentist can show up and answer simple questions like, in this case, it would be, I want to learn what I can learn about taking digital impressions. I keep reading about it, hearing about it. Where can I go learn about it in an unbiased way? I'm not going to a manufacturer's event. I'm going to an unbiased forum. The second question would be, should I be seriously buying one uh, or should I wait? And the third question is, if I've decided to buy one, which one should I buy that's right for me specifically? So with digital impressions, there's nine. There are nine primary manufacturers. And, you know, um, it's I always, the way I, I explain it is it's like buying a car. You know, if you have four kids or five kids, a two-seater car is not the right car for you. You need a minivan. Uh, by the same token, if you're you know, I have five kids and my kids are all leaving home. So we're looking for a little two-seater car. We're getting out of the minivan. Um, so what I'm trying to do is bring all the all the people together. And then the fourth question is, what are the next steps? If I've decided to buy one, I've decided the one I want, how do I do that? And then I put you, you know, my events put you together with, with uh, the ability to purchase that with the people who have that, who can finance it, um, who can deliver it, and who can implement it for you. So that's an event that is singly focused on one thing, and you can knock it out in a day. Uh, we'll move those around the country, so that event will be about six different places around the country. And that is a that is in contrast to, and we'll still have one large event, um, but what I'm getting are docs who say, hey, I want to know about these specific things, and I, you know, I want to do it in a day. So first one is Digital Impression Forum. We've got sleep apnea forums lined up. And we also have implant forums lined up for exactly the same the same uh, general or sole practitioner or general dentist or small group. They can go learn everything in one day in a concentrated format uh, on a Friday so they don't give up any production. They can learn everybody's there together. It's not just one manufacturer, and which requires you to go to two or three or four events over the course of months. This is one intensive uh, you know, uh, event. And that is really where where I see live events going is more of a single intensive event than you know larger big uh, big multi um, content or multi um, subject meetings. So we'll still do that. 
but our the greatest interest that we get is in in more focused events. So I think the attendance will be greater at focused events than it will bigger events. Um, and uh, you know that really starts this year, starts in November. Right. What are some of the topics that people are interested in learning about today? Um, the questions I get asked, that's a great question. Um, the questions I get asked are uh, typically, as, as we just talked about, things like digital impressions. Uh, Dennis will call and say, hey, I hear a lot about this. Should I be buying one of these things? And that's really where the birth of, of a digital forum came from. Um, I, I'm always asked where to find new patients. Uh, I get calls every day from coaching clients or consulting clients and say, gee, we need new patients. Uh, I've I've um, done the you know the research today would suggest that seven out of ten find their uh, find a new dentist online, and um, that sixty five percent will appoint immediately, and that sixty sixty percent do that on a device. So you put those three things together, and what it says is your new patients are finding their new dentist on their iPhone. Um, and they're making an appointment immediately, so you better have a presence that that facilitates that, that makes that easy. So uh, that's a that's a uh, probably one of the second. The the number one topic I get asked um, every day, and what's going on in dentistry is really retirement transition planning, the entire dynamic of practice growth, sale, transition, and purchase has changed completely in the past, say, seven to 10 years. Um, a lot to do with uh, group dentistry and what they can offer a new dental school grad. Um, a lot to do with the economy as it changed in 2007 and 8. And then a, a lot to do with dental students today who, who have access to information about business planning. You know, they, they come out of dental school and they know they're going to be a business person. They're going to buy a business, and 20 years ago, you know, you had to go to the library or talk to an accountant or a good friend who started a business. Today, an average dentist can go online and just Google, you know, uh, what's my business worth, or I'm thinking of buying a business, how do I decide what it's worth, or any number of things, and they'll have a thousand YouTubes that they can watch. You know, I always uh, tease them about YouTube University. Um, They'll have a thousand YouTubes. They go into the purchase of a practice completely differently than a dentist who's 20 years older and or maybe a generation ago. So a sale that would have happened 20 years ago just doesn't happen today. So the selling dentist and the buying dentist, the dynamic between the two, are completely dynamically different than they were just a generation ago. So... Those are really the biggies, and you know we're free to explore any of that, any of those further if you like. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. So, I mean, what you're saying is the way people do things has to totally changed. It's just not you know they're just reading on a tablet versus a, a print, but it's also that um, you know uh, the way they make decisions has changed, the way they uh, you know go about. Um, Choosing their careers and their paths have changed. Everything has changed. Yeah, you uh, access to information um, it, it changes the playing field completely. And again, I think in terms of analogies, uh, I'll give you one. Uh, I'll give you one that's that's you know pertinent to to my life today. Um, we had a son who uh, had an accident. Uh, everybody's okay. Car got totaled. He needs a new car. Um, 20 years ago, even a decade ago, you walk into a car dealership and you start to, you know, you haggle over the car. You pick one you like, and then, you know, now you struggle with the price. Today, you know, he's going to go buy a car. He's, he's picked the car that he wants, and he can go on and search, you know, is this car really worth this? Or what are people paying for this car? Or, you know, we live in, say, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Cincinnati, Ohio are a little over an hour away. Um, he can do a search and expand it 100 miles. He can find that same car, same color, same everything, 
100 miles away and maybe $1,000 less. So is it worth driving 1,000 or 100 miles to save $1,000? Sure it is. Um, or uh, there are all kinds of sites that will tell you the, the last, uh, you know, the purchase price, the last time somebody purchased it. So that's amazing information to just buy a car. Um, imagine that if you're going to dental school. I know a group of dentists, uh, they just graduated from the University of Kentucky, and they, three of them, they bought their own practice before they graduated. They taught themselves sort of the business side of it. They found a mentor, uh, Dr. Tom Larkin, um, great guy. Um, and out of this, none of them really realized what they were doing, but they were learning how to acquire a dental practice. Now, 20 years ago, what would have happened is they graduated and said, hey, I'm a dentist now. Let me go look for a place to work for two years and, and kind of cut my teeth, so to speak, and understand the business and find a doc who's wanting to retire in two to three years. I'll work for two to three years for you know, low wages just to get an education. And I can tell you in my, in my consulting part of my business, I, I've seen that blow apart 90 plus percent of the time. Um, the doc who wants to sell suddenly has it a little easier. He or she is working three days a week, and you know somebody else is doing all the the stuff they don't want to do, and they don't want that to end. They kind of like that. Now the doc who came out of dental school feels like you know I put in my hard work. Now it's time for me to get this practice for little to nothing. And you know they find out they're you know they're both miles apart. The whole thing blows up and they start over again. Um, that. That dynamic, I'm, you know, to the, the good, I guess, I'm seeing that less and less and less and less. What I see now is a pretty smart buyer who comes into this knowing what EBITDA is, earnings before interest, uh, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And they understand what that means to, to, to valuing a practice that, you know, I might buy this practice for for three to five times EBITDA, five to three to five times earnings, where the selling dentist looks at it and says, you know, hey, I do this much indentures and I have this kind of patient base and therefore I think it ought to be worth X. And the buyer looks at it and just says, it's not really. I can go down the street or I can become an employee of, of, a, of a corporate dental, dentistry. I can, I can do pretty good. I can make a pretty good paycheck. And if I if I stick it out for two years and prove my worth, they'll give me ownership in in this practice. I can have a an ESOP, an employee stock ownership program. So I don't have to work that hard on the non-clinical part of it. I work for somebody who takes care of that for me, and or they can get together with you know as these three guys did when they graduated. They can get together with two or three of their buddies and say, you know, hey, let's just start a little group. We'll hire a manager for all of us. Well, we'll combine our insurance filings and let one person take care of that who's really good at it, and then each of us can run our own clinic the way we want to run it. We can, you know, we can we can do dentistry the way we want, but we can be satisfied in that we're we're only taking the insurance that we all decide we want to take. We are we have some some negotiating strength with a PPO because it's four times the size that it would be of any of them together. So a uh, PPO looks at them and says, you know, hey, we need to, we need to talk to these guys. They do, they'd run a lot of business through us. And instead of, you know, a $500 crown reimbursement, you know, we've got to give them an eight or $900 crown reimbursement to, for them to use us as a PPO. Um, supply companies look at them and say, wow, look at the volume that they're buying. You know, there's four offices uh, we're going to give them a deeper discount than we would if it was a single doc. So young dentists coming out of school understand that in a way that somebody who graduated 20 years ago just didn't and couldn't. And so that's the struggle for somebody who is, who is say, late, I call them late career docs, somebody who's 55, 60, and is looking to retire in five years or eight years or 10 years. Um, that's why 96%, according to the ADA, 96% of dentists who are 65 years old are not prepared financially to retire. They can't retire. That's 96%. That is unbelievable. That's more than, than you know, people who work at 
Ford on the assembly line. Um, and they, they didn't have nearly the volume of money go through their hands in their career as a dentist did. But dentists of that age are just waiting for an associate to come along out of dental school, sign up for this, and then at some point, you know, buy them out, hand it over, and that that model, that business model of, of practice transition is just dropping dramatically. Um, it's probably less than 50% now. Where it used to be 99%, that's that's how it worked. Um, so, um, so yeah, to answer your question, the the everything in the way that dental practices, businesses, dental businesses grow, that are started, grow, transition, and get sold, everything is changing, and I think it's largely just due to access to information that that didn't exist a generation ago. Wow, that's 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 going to have seismic, you know impact on like valuation of practices and mm-hmm. you know it's going to turn into a, a buyer's market right more than a seller's market Is that what's it, um you so here's the good news um you know not to not to sound gloom and doom um here's the good news for a seller um and and again to use an analogy if if i have a an older home uh years ago i used to love older homes and i wanted to buy a an old Victorian and put some time and effort into it. And I always used to say it's the, your home is in that case, it's the third person in your marriage. You have to love it and you have to live it. And everything you do is fixing it up. And there are a limited number of buyers for those. Um, now, if you have a standard type of house in a, in, in a neighborhood, you know, three bedrooms, two baths, nice big backyard for, for people with kids, there are lots and lots and lots of buyers for those. So if you're a builder, which one are you going to build? You're, you're going to build what the market wants. And uh, the builders who do that are very successful. The builders who build, you know, I remember one time I looked at a house that had a five-car garage. Um, that was great for the guy who had the five cars, but when he went to sell it, it turned me off as a buyer, if that makes sense. Um, I don't want five-car, you know, I don't need a five-car garage. So he built a thing that there weren't many buyers for. So if you have a dental practice, you look you have to look at it the same way and say, who's my buyer going to be five years from now, and uh, or eight years from now? And you don't, you know, um, with all due respect, you know, I'm 55, so I'm in the same boat. If I had had if I had no savings and I had to start now, I have a very short time if I'm going to count on the magic of compounding and putting money in a 401k. I can do that. But I have a very short time. The value of that is doing it for 30 years, and your money will double three and four and five times. So that original dollar is now 16 or 32 dollars. Um, whereas if I only have 10 years, you know that original dollar is about two and a half bucks. So that's not a good strategy. But to look at my practice and say, here's what a buyer wants. A buyer may not care if you do sedation or not. Uh, today's buyers are typically not uh, really keen on removables, on dentures. Uh, the patient base is older, and they're smart enough to understand what we call the LTV, the lifetime value of a customer. And the lifetime value, think of the difference between the lifetime value of a family uh, with two or three kids that come to you in their 30s, and the number of hygiene visits and perio visits and an occasional crown here and there and yada yada yada, um, and uh, versus um, a, um, a person who's 76 has a lot of time on their hands and you know wants to only pay $500 for a set of dentures and wants to come in every week and get them adjusted. Um, that hits your bottom line, and a younger doc understands that. So they're not really interested in buying a practice that has a very high removable base because it's financially it, it's it's a challenge. So um, not that that's not a great practice. It's just that you're going to have to ver- find a very unique buyer for that. So so the answer really is as a as a dentist who's 55, maybe bring in an associate and say, listen, here's what we're going to do for the next 10 years. We're going to transition to this kind of of treatment. I'm going to manage my ratios. I need I need overhead to be less than 50%. Uh, I can't be functioning on 85% overhead like I like I have been for a while. Um, I need new patient growth 
of 20 new patients a month. I can't function on one or two new patients a month. And they focus on the things that, that demonstrate that it is a thriving practice for a young dentist who's coming out of school that says, okay, I understand a thriving practice versus a struggling practice. And if I'm going to buy one, if I'm going to buy a struggling practice, I'm going to pay a whole lot less than I'm going to, as a, as a multiple of earnings of EBITDA, than I am a, a growing practice that I, all I have to do is come in and keep the momentum going. You know, there they say, you know, it's, it's easier to get, um, you know, an object in motion tends to stay in motion and an object at rest tends to stay in rest. So a practice that's growing 10 or 15 or 20% a year, year over year for say the past three to five years, a young dentist who comes in just has to really keep that momentum going versus coming in and saying, hey, here's a great fixer upper. Let me get this started. Let me get, let me transition from a lot of removables to a lot of crown and bridge. Let me bring in some ortho. But, you know, my, but the retiring dentist is 72 and his average patient is about the same age. Um, you're not going to do a lot of crown and bridge. You're, you, you know, uh, so I don't know if that makes sense, but the, the dynamic of the business is something that a buyer is going to look at, a young, smarter buyer, and say, okay, I'm, I can pay a lot more for this practice than I would for the practice down the street. So as a seller, you'll get a lot higher return. You'll get a lot higher price for your practice. Plus, um, you'll just know that it continues versus somebody coming in and losing half the patient base right away and half the staff. And I mean, we, I see it every day in dentistry. Um, and, you know, three years from now, the practice is, the original practice is gone or chopped up or, or folded into something else. But um, so, you know, in a sad sense, somebody's life work just kind of fell apart three years after they retired. Absolutely. I think what you're saying is, um, we, I, had, I was talking to uh, um, Dr. Rice, and uh, he talked about the mindset of the older generation versus the, the younger generation, you know, the millennials. The older generation was taught to believe that, you know, you work hard, you put in your time, and somehow things will, you know, take care of itself. But the reality is, you know, in today's world, um, you know, I work for 50 years or 30 years and then retire and, and then have retirement, it's kind of evaporating, right? I mean, you saw Enron and all kinds of, you know, issues. Well, and... yeah, they're just different models. There are different options. Whereas a generation ago, uh, there was one model. There was one, there was one way that a practice transitioned or got sold. And it was an, somebody graduated from dental school with a lot of debt needed a job. So 95 to 98% plus went to work for another dentist for two or three years as an associate in the hopes that they would take over the practice and didn't give a thought to how profitable was the practice, um, how much can they actually take home. And again, the vast majority of those relationships still blew apart and didn't work out. So they might put 10 years in and finally be able to break even after a lot of struggle and uh, finally got, you know, finally got up and going in their own name, finally paid off those practice loans after 15 years. And, uh, you know, they've lost half of a career in just trying to get back to trading water. And I guess the point is a younger generation says, I don't want to do that. Right. There are better, there's smarter, better ways to do this. And so there are the options, there are just so many more great or better options than that model that's really existed for 70-ish years or so. Um, it was really the only thing that existed. Groups didn't exist. I mean, if you wanted to come out of dental school and work for a, a group with 750 dentists, it didn't, literally didn't exist. Um, right. You want to go to work for a group with 50 dentists, uh, it may exist, but only in a big city. Um, those those options just didn't exist a generation ago. So you know you had one model, and that's that's how it worked. So that's really the difference. Is it's is an older dentist is waiting for his or her turn. You know they've been practicing since 1979. They're waiting for their turn, and they're looking for that new that associate to come along, fresh out of dental school, like they did, you know, 40 years ago, 
and they're not there. They're off doing something else, and they will ask questions. I've sat in more meetings that, that are just uncomfortable where the young dentist will say, well, let me look at your EBITDA and what percentage do you, uh, you know, what percentage of your revenue goes to marketing? And what percentage do you do you allocate for patient retention versus patient attraction? And, you know, these older docs just look and say, I don't know, but, you know, we do sedation. Um, and they, so I guess what I'm saying is it's a conversation that is almost like two different languages. Um, right. Young docs understand it's a business. And older docs are a dentist who happen to own a business and really haven't thought of themselves that way. So um, it's the, uh, the AR question is always, always, always uncomfortable. We'll walk into a practice that has six or eight or nine months worth of accounts receivable sitting on the books. Uh, half of that's never going to be collected. Um, and a young doc understands that. They've, you know, they've loaned their patients money interest-free for years, and they they don't want to take that on. So they understand when they come in, if they were to buy this practice, number one, they're not taking all that bad debt. Number two, you have to retrain your patients. These patients are used to, to coming in, getting treatment, and paying you over. I mean, I've seen some of them where they would take, you know, $10 a month for eight or nine years. Um, uh, young dentists would never even start that. So they're going to they understand what they would be walking into if they did that and they're just not going to so the older generation really needs to just focus on what is it that the buyer wants and this is the young you know a younger audience that's a little more informed and take this time to reengineer their practice and it's well worth the investment they'll they'll change it from getting one or two times earnings to getting sometimes 10 or more times earnings and which means they've invested in themselves. It's a better investment than anything they can make out in the market. It's a better return than any savings they could put into play for the next 10 years. So they're really investing in their practice. You know, think of it as an old house that you're 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 remodeling for a new young buyer. Um and that's kind of what you're that's kind of what they're doing. You're making a ton of sense. You're saying um the young people want to work smart, and you also can work smart as the older dentist trying to sell a practice and get significantly more better return on your time, your money, uh, mm-hmm. versus just doing the same old thing and then telling the new doc, hey, I do sedation, and he's like, so what? Right. They And if they don't do sedation, you that's a – and here's the way I always look at it. You know, I, we live in southern Indiana, outside Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my dad lives in Florida. In Florida, South Florida, everybody has a pool, and maintaining that pool costs pennies because everybody has a pool. Um, it's always open all year round, so it's part of the value of your home. Here in southern Indiana, if you have a pool, it actually lowers the value of your home. Now, you just spent 50 or 60 grand on a pool to lower the value of your home. That's a terrible investment. So you've invested in a thing that buyers don't want. They would like to have a pool, but they're not going to pay extra for it. You can only use it half the year. It's expensive to maintain. And in my case, you know, when your kids are gone, you know, it it's not worth opening and closing the pool every year. So if if I invested in that, I just need to understand it hasn't helped my value any. So if you're a doc who does uh, like holistic dentistry or sedation dentistry, or things that they're a very small niche market, you've got to realize that the, the you're buying dentist, unless they do that, it's of no value to them. So they might look at your patient base and say, wow, you have you know, 1,200 active patients, but 400 of them are holistic, and they want to do ozone therapy, and they want to do all these things that I just don't do. They're, they're not going to give, there's no value to those patients and therefore, they may or may not be interested in coming on as an associate or buying your practice. Um, they may just say, gosh, you really only have 800 patients that I'm interested in. Or if half of your base is removables and you're struggling with cash flow, which I see a lot, um, you know, these aren't patients who have a big lifetime value. Again, they're, they're not coming in twice a, twice a year for hygiene or more. They're not having a, a, you know, a, a crown every three years. Uh, they don't have referrals 
you know, a lot of referrals in their network from work or school or where their kids play, um, the value of that patient is very small. So if 50% of your, um, of your revenue is generated from removables, it's going to be hard to find a buyer who will give you any value for that going forward. They know they're going to lose most of those people, so no sense paying for them, so to speak. So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but yes, that's really that's kind of what it's saying is understand what the buyer is buying, and it's completely different than it was just a generation ago. Right. Now, I do have around 40 clients who happen to be in a holistic, and uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you, you can only sell it to people who believe in the same thing, but what makes yeah. up, because many of them are a lot more profitable than a typical practice, just because it's like, you know, people go to Whole Foods and pay three times for the same apple. Yeah, yes. You're, they're very loyal. There's a lot higher margin. And uh, there's a lot smaller supply. So I, I know of, uh, I have a good friend who's a dentist um, in the Northeast. His patients travel 100 to 200 miles to come see him. And right. that's, that's valuable to him. Um, so, and if there's a, another dentist who fits that um, profile, who wants to live in that same town or move to that same town, that's very, very, very valuable. Um, plus, you know, if, if he started this early enough, um, you can probably make a pretty good living on that, um, save your money, invest wisely, and then, the va- and then you're not relying on the value of your practice to retire. And really, that's that's what we're talking about here. That's where that's where dentists get into trouble, is they're relying on the the value of their practice for retirement. Now, if you've if you've been you know a little more disciplined and smarter along the way, you, you don't. So so you enjoyed your career, you did something you really loved. If you did holistic dentistry, you have patients who love you, and it's very valuable to the next person. But you can afford to hand that off, um, you can, maybe that's the statement, you can afford to hand that off or to transition that and sell that. Whereas if that's your whole retirement, you've got to find a buyer who's willing to pay for that. And there's just a smaller population of them. So again, it's back to the five car garage. You know, if you collect cars and you needed a five car garage and you added that on and it's as big as the footprint of the house um, and you don't need to make money out of the house, Great, you're you're fine, but if all your your investment, if you don't have any money saved and it's all in your home, and you have got to get a big number for your house, you're just going to take a long time to find a buyer for that. If you know, right. if ever, um, it's a lot of maintenance and upkeep for a five car heated garage. I totally totally agree with you. I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, so I think it really comes down to what you are looking for and then how do you make it happen. So a lot of the younger dentists are very, very, uh, very much into working smart. So they are being proactive, you know, even before they sign the check. So if you want to, um, you know, and I guess it's never too late, right? So let's say you have 10 more years to go. It's better to wake up now and, you know, come up with a game plan and execute as a businessman or businesswoman as opposed to, uh, you know, continue doing what you used to do and hope that everything will work out, which probably it won't. Well, you know, here's something that's interesting to me. I'm, I'm a business person, so, uh, and I'm an entrepreneur. So I understand that I'm in business, whether I'm in telecommunications infrastructure, utility power, the dental lab business, dental seminars, the Profitable Dentist magazine. I understand that I'm in business. And fundamentally what that means is inputs and outputs. Now, my input is usually cash or money. Customers pay it to me, and I spend it for marketing, and I spend it for employees, and I spend it for taxes and heat and lights and a building and all those things. But I understand that from the very beginning, I need to make a profit, and that profit fuels my growth. And my growth, it, that growth fuels my bigger business worth more money. And at some point, I say, hey, I've grown big enough or I've reached a certain age. Let me turn that effort into a sale or retirement and I sell my business and I use that money to retire and life is good. Here's what's always interested me about dentists or here's what I found intriguing. 12 or 15 years ago when I would have a dentist, when I would be working with a dentist consulting, they didn't want anybody to know that I was helping them. I might be restructuring 
loans. I might be restructuring practice debt to keep them out of bankruptcy. They didn't want anybody to know that there was a guy in there helping them with marketing. You know, I'm a business guy. I'm not a dentist. So they didn't want anybody to know I was helping them. Today, I'll, I'll have clients. It's, it's literally the opposite. They'll say, I want people to know that Steve Parker's helping me build my practice. And there's some dynamics to it. They don't care that I'm not a dentist. They care that I know how to turn a practice into, a, you know, an $800,000 practice into a million two practice uh, 24 months from now. That I turn uh, uh, earnings of 20% um, uh, net pro- or profit into 50% profit. They they get it. Now they may or may not know how to do it, but they get that that is a good and a smart thing. So what's always interested me is is Dentistry is a profession where for 70 years, for generation, nearly 100% of dental school graduates at some point will be an entrepreneur. They will be a business owner because that's what existed. Groups, you know, groups didn't exist. So when you came out, whether you worked as an employee for a few years, bought the practice and then became the owner, nearly 100% of dental school graduates would be business people. They would be paying taxes. They would be paying payrolls. They would be hiring and firing. They would be figuring out how to do advertising. They would do all these business functions. But their entire education for business would be a couple of classes in their senior year. And that was all. Whereas, you know, a lot of physicians, the the majority of physicians today even, Come out, of, come out of medical school and they immediately go to work for a hospital group or a medical group or somebody else takes care of all that stuff. Hiring and firing, somebody else does it. Uh, facilities, somebody else finds those. Uh, paying taxes, some, you know, it's not just the accountant. You need to understand it. Um, that's, and that's also one of the biggest, um, um, biggest dangers that we found or, or one of the biggest questions. You ask me the questions I get. Um, I, every day I have practices that got sold a dentist took a big bunch of money nine months ago. Um, uh, it's time to file taxes the following year, and they just figured out what capital gains are, and they realized they owe $89,000 in taxes, and they spent that money or put it away, and they don't have it. Um, that's a simple thing that every business owner understands. When I sell it, I'm giving Uncle Sam a big fat chunk of it. Dentists don't even they're, – it's they're not even aware of it. So what's always struck me about dentistry is – for generations, 100% of them were going to be entrepreneurs, business owners. And they, they got maybe six credit hours of education on that component of their career. And I think that's a, I think that's a disservice it's, that's quickly being addressed with dental schools. But for a generation, this past generation or two, it's it's becoming something that they probably wish they would have learned in dental school 30 or 40 years ago, and they wouldn't be in the spot that they're in now. Right. So. You know, excellent insight. You know, um, I think um, I, I totally understand what you're saying, you know, in terms of business part is getting bigger and bigger, and also the world itself is changing. So the same old way of running a business, you know, in other words, the way you used to run your business five years ago may not work today. You know, and you can't just, yeah, you can't just come out and say, okay, I'm a dentist. Let's do something about that. Um, it just, you know, that, that generation is, is really behind us now. So you can, but you may not, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of dentists who are in their fifties and take home $55,000 a year. Um, and have lived through finally paying off student loans, finally paying off practice debt, finally paying off, the, and they they have twenty two thousand dollars saved for retirement, and it is steamrolling up on them. And you know, when I ask them what what's your plan, it's well, I'm going to sell my practice. You know, in ten years, I want to sell my practice in ten years, and I'll ask them what do you think it's worth. Well, they have no idea. You know, they say I don't know. And I'll say, well, we'll look at your numbers right now. It's worth about, you know, a hundred grand. Um, and they'll look at me and say, well, I can't retire on that. And no, you can't. But you know, you've been doing this for thirty years, and that's where you've gotten. And 
really the sad fact of the matter is that would have been okay 15, 20 years ago. You, you know, that's how a lot of dentists retired. It just doesn't just doesn't happen now. Right. Steve, if people want to learn more about you or get a hold of you, how can they do that? Um, I'm, I have a lot of uh, companies in dental. I actually own um, uh, several consulting companies. One, um, they can write me at steve at dentivadental.com, D-E-N-T-I-V-A dental.com, steve at theprofitabledentist.com uh, is a good way to reach me. Um, I have a very um, uh, substantial following on things like Facebook, um, on LinkedIn, get a lot of questions and communications on the Messenger, like Facebook Messenger and LinkedIn Messenger. Um, I, I like those because that helps me, especially LinkedIn, uh, that helps me know who I'm talking to, gives me a little idea maybe of their background and, you know, saves in some of the conversation and they can get to know a little bit about me. Um, so any of those, I'm, I'm Stephen Parker on Facebook and um but uh, and they can always call the profitable dentist um, at eight one two nine four nine nine zero four three. And uh, if I'm not in, um, whoever answers the phone will be glad to take a message. And and I always do return calls. Uh, work work a lot, so it might be after hours. Um, and uh, usually work on weekends too. So uh, I enjoy helping dentists, talking to dentists. I get a lot of calls that are just dentists who you know, good people found themselves in a spot, woke up and realized they're 58 and and don't have much to retire and just scared to death and don't know what to do. So we'll we'll spend 30 minutes and I'll give them some tips and and kind of set them down a path and I'm I'm always available for that. So I would tell all your listeners don't don't hesitate to call even with simple questions. I I love getting to know new dentists. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Steve, for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, um, we'll put all your contact information and everything uh, you know, on the podcast so people can get a hold of you. Great. Likewise. Thank you very much. I, I'm really glad to be on with you. Thank you, Steve.